Um, so the last couple of weeks I've been out uh, with uh, leading the kids, uh, which has been great. Uh, so I, I, could you just give me a little bit of a, a, a bit of feedback, really, so for those of you who've been around the last couple of weeks, um, where, where have you been landing? What's God been speaking into your heart and life through the, the, the le- John's, John's first letter? What, we, what were some of the standout points? Don't go shy on me because this is feeding my sermon today. No, it's not. What were some of the things? What were some of the things you learned from the last couple of weeks? Okay, really impactful couple of sermons then. Um, maybe I have to have a word with John afterwards. Um, what, anything? Mary, thank you. <laughs> Save me. I, was, I, was, I wasn't going to speak because I think last week we looked a bit at John 15. So that's really uh, stayed with me, the importance of abiding. Um, yeah. Okay. yeah good. It's a theme that John picks up throughout the letter, isn't it? It's, it's a real core element of his, um, of his writings. It's about abiding with Jesus. It's great. Thank you. Anybody else going to be brave enough to share? Ian, just let's get this on the... Uh, come on. One of the interesting things that I found from the off was that John didn't start with a flowery, flattering introduction. He was straight in with some truth because people needed needed the truth. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. So John, yeah, John's straight to the point is he doesn't pull any punches. It's kind of like, this is what you need to hear. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Same as Ian, really. um, Really blunt. But the fact that it starts with the revelation, I love the way how his gospel and this does start with the revelation, but not, not that I need to teach you some stuff. This is a truth and choose, basically. Yeah, okay, good. So it starts with Jesus. It's saturated in Jesus. It, it points to Jesus. He, he is saying you either, you either believe Jesus and order your life around him or you don't believe Jesus and don't order your life around him. It's kind of like there is, there is no middle ground. And we... In our day and age, we love middle ground, don't we? Because we like to be able to say, oh, well, there's a place for everybody. Would that be true? Okay, and, and it's, it's great. We want to create environments where people can access. But John's, John's writing, when it comes to faith in Jesus, he doesn't leave space for middle ground. He just says you're either, you're either with Jesus or you're against Jesus. You either love him and his people or you, and he uses quite a strong language, he says you, are, you, you, you hate them. Or you hate Jesus and you hate God. No, and no, not many people outright and come and say that, but what he's, he's drilling at is that the patterns of our behavior really give evidence to what we truly believe. So if we want to drill down on how, how we understand and identify what we believe, then we follow the patterns of behavior. Now, this is really important because John isn't teaching moralism. All right, so he's not saying, you act right, you behave well according to these patterns, and you will attain salvation. You will please God. It's not in his vocabulary. He's not works-oriented. He is gospel-saturated, Jesus-focused, and he's saying if we put our belief and our trust in Jesus, then everything else begins to center and uh, and unfold out of that place of relationship with Jesus. And so John is is writing to, um, I don't know whether John mentioned this, he he may well have done in his first sermon, 
Um, but John's writing to counter this belief uh, that some false teachers are saying, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe. But their pattern of behavior wasn't, wasn't correlating with that, that statement of I believe in Jesus. So they were, they were immoral, they were teaching immoral, immorality, and it was a, a John's, John's concern is for the church. He's, he's writing saying, I don't want you to be get, get caught up with false understanding and false belief about what it means to follow Jesus in this age. And so we live in a world where there are many things that we can get distracted by, many things that we can believe, many things that we can get caught up in, and I think so. John's letter is writing, I think, into our context to go, if, if we say we believe, regardless of what's going on around us, this is what it looks like for us to pattern our life after Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean to say that we, um, we are obnoxious. It doesn't mean to say that we don't care. It doesn't mean to say that we are belligerent with people and other thoughts. It just means to say we, are, we need to be resolute in who we are as followers of Jesus in a world that is always shifting because he is unchanging. He doesn't change. And his way of, 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 uh, of uh, his, his way of invi- invitation and his, his life that he wants to see at work in us and through us, the way that he designed it is unchanging. He, he wants us to live in relationship with him and with others in a way that reflects him well. And so we're going to dig in uh, to John chapter 3. Um, and so uh, I was umming and ahhing as to whether to read the whole thing or not, um, but I'm going to, and then I'm going to draw out some things that I think will be helpful. you notice that I've put some glasses on, all right? Now, I don't need them for, like, but I've, I've got to the point now where I need the text to be increased a little bit. <laughs> I mean, some of you have been there, and you know what that's like, so here we go. <laughs> all right, Okay, so we're going to go from verse, um, verse 1 of chapter 3. Now, John's, John's been writing about our behavior in, in chapter 2. Uh, he gets, comes into this little, little break, actually. It seems like a bit of a break in the text. But I'm going to read it all, okay? Because I don't think we can do any harm by reading the scriptures together. Um, so I want you to follow along with me, and then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna come back to verses 1 to 3. Okay. So see what great love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Just pause there for a moment before I read any longer. And just read those verses. If you've got your Bible open, just read those verses. And ask the question, what is, what is the, what's the word or the phrase that's really grabbing a hold of your attention? What stands out to you? Because we're going to come back to that. Give you a couple of moments to do that. Okay, I'm going to carry on from verse 4. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. 
you know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins. And there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Jesus, uh, sorry, uh, children, let us know, uh, let no one deceive you. Or maybe I need to change my glasses. Um, children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the, the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's, uh, this is how God's children and the children's devil become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. He's not pulling any punches, is he? John, he really isn't. He's not leaving us with any ambiguity. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another, unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were, were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. And the one who does not, love, uh, does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. Wow, strong language. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's uh, goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, uh, but in action and in truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth, and we will reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love, other, uh, love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. The way we know that the spirit, uh, sorry, the way that, we, uh, that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. It's the problem when you read from different translations and study from different, uh, different versions. John, uh, John is... He's, he, he is straight to the point, isn't he? There is no messing about with what he expects of us uh, and them and that, that church, the church congregation that he was writing to, but also for believers throughout the ages. He's saying this, this is what it looks like for us to be followers of Jesus. But where does it start? And I want us to go into the verses, um, verses 1 to 3. And I want to just dwell there for a minute because there are some things that I think radically reshape how we think about a, a pursuit of holiness. 
how we begin to live out the life that God has called us into. If you um, read those verse, verse verses, see what great love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And we are. See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God and we are. It's not something future. It's not something we're working up to that one day when we see him we'll actually be the children of God. He's saying that if we have come to a faith, a saving faith in Christ Jesus, we put our trust in Jesus, our belief in Jesus, we're all in for Jesus, that he has poured out his love upon us. What great love is this? Now the Greek gives the indication that it's otherworldly. It is something beyond our comprehension. Something that comes from from beyond. Something that comes from outside of us. It is given by God, the creator, the one whom is love, has poured it out into our hearts. See what great love he has for us. How is that love demonstrated? In that we are called, identified as children of God. That is our identity. So for each one of us this morning who are, who are followers of Jesus, who have said, I, Jesus, I'm all in for you, our identity is this. We are children of God. Not because of what we have done, but because of what we have received. What love he has poured out upon us. So we can't earn it. There's no amount of bad behavior or good behavior that will either displease God or, or reject, cause us to be rejected by him or to be, um, to be embraced by him. It's not about what we do for him. Because outside of Jesus, we're all identified with, the, with those that would, be, would hate God. It's what, I think it's what the text is indicating. Outside of him outside of who he is, outside of that identity as a child of God, then we are rebelling against him, whether we say that we do or we don't, outside of his life at work in us, that is our, that's our identity. And so we are, for those of us this morning, who would say, Jesus, I am yours, this is now who you are. It is your current reality. Whether you feel it, whether you feel it or not, because this isn't about, and I think John maybe mentioned this last week, didn't he, that this isn't about the feelings. Because how many of us, myself included, throughout the course of our lives have had certain insecurities about our salvation? Am I, am I really? Can I really believe it? Can I, can, am I really a child of God? Am I really, am I, is this really truly my identity? I'm seeing a few nods, but... The reality is that, that our assurance of our position and identity in Christ can never be about what we have done. It's always about what he has done and who he is. And from that point, we begin to live and begin to allow our life to be shaped around who he is. 
What else do you, what else do you notice about these first three verses? Anybody want to just chip in before I start talking anymore? The thing that strikes me is that uh, phrase where he says his lavish love that he's poured on us uh, so that we can be his children, that it's not, uh, he hasn't just given us just about the right amount of us so we can scrape in, but he's abundantly given us way more than we need and absolutely lavished us with us. Fantastic, yeah. His, his, his love is, is sufficient, all sufficient. Yeah, fantastic. Anybody else? Any, these first three verses, anything that you notice about these things? about those verses. Okay. The reality of it is our, our position and our identity is secure in Jesus. We are who we are. But we also know that in this life, um, we, are, we are not yet perfect. I mean... Except for you and me, Phil. <laughs> you know? no. Right, we are not yet as we will be. This is where I think these, these verses are really powerful because it speaks to the, the current reality that's assured because of Jesus, but the invitation to purity and sanctification and holiness and transformation, that which is his, his desire for us. Because one day, this is where he starts to speak into the second coming. I think you mentioned this earlier, Alan. It's like one day he will return. He'll return for his people. And when he returns, we shall see him as he really is. And we shall what? Be like him. Go figure, right? I mean, that is amazing. So the reality from which we, work, we operate now is I am a child of God. I don't earn that. That's how I live. That's how you live. That's the, the posture, the position, the, the, the reality, the truth, the transforming power of his, his spirit in us is that's who we are. So therefore we get to live from that position. And as we walk with him, we are purified even as he is pure. So one day we will be fully like him. In the in-between time, we are becoming like him. We are being made pure, being sanctified. Now, the security of our salvation is in Jesus. The evidence and the outworking of our salvation, I think this, this text gives us some indications as to what that might look like. And so there are five things. Okay, the first one is that, that we, have we have received God's love into our hearts. We know that. And we'll come to in verse, uh, into point five as to where we, we, that resides within us and how we understand that. But we are, the first thing is that we receive God's love as children. We are children of God. The second thing is that we practice righteousness. Verses five and six say this. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins and there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Now you might think, is this, is this John now preaching perfectionism? Sinless perfection. That now we're not, not a follower of Jesus. Now we're a follower of Jesus. We don't sin at all. It's not what actually he's saying. Because if you go back into the verse chapter, what does he say in chapter 1 verse 9? If we confess our sin, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. What he is saying is that those that practice righteousness have set their hearts to walk in his ways. Set their hearts and their intention to pursue him and, and allow the transformation to take place. He's saying that those that have practiced lawlessness, those that practice sin, have set their intention. It's the habitual nature of pursuing those things that were of the, of the, of the world. So for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, the book of Romans is really important because it, through it, the Apostle Paul declares that, that the power of sin has been broken and that we have new life in him, that we have freedom in him, that we are a new creator. We are, we are, um, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In, in, first, in 2 Corinthians 5, he says we're a new creation. The old has gone and the, the new has come. And so we can live out of that newness to practice righteousness. Which means that we have to partner with him in the decisions and the choices that we make. But in the here and the now, we know that there are going to be moments where we are going to say things, do things, act in ways that we think, oh, that really doesn't line up with the character and the attitude of Jesus. Now, if you're already thinking those things, good. Because it shows that you're alive to Christ. It shows that your conscience is aware of the things that you, you know that God has called you to do. And you can't do it in your own power. So we can use those moments to go, God, I need your power to be at work in me. To help me to live this life, even as I seek to try and do it. Even as I take some responsibility for the things that I know that I ought to do. And so we partner with him. But you know, if, our, if the inclination of our hearts, the desire of our hearts is to simply satisfy the sinful nature. And that's habitual, constant, ongoing focus is how can I fulfill these desires and not only just as a thought, but it's an action because the thoughts and the seed of what goes on inside will lead to action. But it's also not just about the action. It is about what goes on in our hearts because God knows all things. And so I, it's really important to say that when John is writing this letter, he's writing to a people that he, he loves and have, have known and come to this profession of faith, but are under attack. And he's saying, don't, don't waver. Right, so I, I know most of you. I've, got time, I've had a chance to spend some time with you. I know some of your stories. We won't have spent time on, but I, I know that looking out, there's this desire to pursue him. So that, take this as, a, this as a, a, an invitation to step into this new season that I think we're in as a church to go, do you know what, Gee, I'm all in for you. And I know I'm going to need your grace increasingly in measure. But Lord, help me to increasingly become like you. Even if the world doesn't understand it. Even if the world doesn't see it. Even if people misunderstand me. Jesus, I'm going to pursue you. Because John says, don't be surprised if people don't get you. Don't be surprised if people don't like you. Not within the church, but outside of the church. People who are, who are opposed to God because... They don't know him. Now, as I said earlier, it doesn't mean to say that we purposely provoke people, but actually, as we are transformed, it will, it will provoke. It should provoke conversation. should provoke questions. People might not always understand it. 
And so we practice righteousness. We practice doing the right thing. We practice following the way of Jesus. And we do that, the way that we do that is, that, is to know him. This is the invitation of John, whether it's in his gospel or in his letters. Saying so the only way that we can live this life is to not just know about him, but is to know him. To know his voice, to know his ways, to abide with him. Because when we're with him, we get to know him. And he gets to, and we get, he gets to lead us and shape us. The third evidence is this, is that John seems to indicate is that the love, love for others, love for the brothers and sisters, says you want to, you want to, uh, some, uh, markers of assurance, markers that God's work is, uh, love is at work in you and that you're a child of God is that there'll be a love for one another. Now, we've, Rachel and I have got two girls and they're, they're, most of the time they're a delight and most of the time they get on. Most of the time. But there are some moments, not so long ago, <laughs> where, they, um, where they bicker and they fall out and they squabble and they, you think that you know, World War III was about to begin in our home. But that's life, isn't it? Now, what happens if we allow that to fester and say, come on, let's, let's, re- let's work this out, let's resolve this. And sometimes, no, all the time they need a parent to step in and go, okay, let's, let's have a different perspective on this. And despite my best efforts to try and let them work it out themselves, it doesn't always work. But just because we love one another doesn't mean to say that we, we, can't, we, we won't disagree. It doesn't mean to say that we won't have differences of opinion. It doesn't mean to say that we, won't, we will always like what everybody does. But the questions we have to ask is, is the pattern of behavior that's going on in somebody else's life, is it reflected in my own? Is that really the issue in my own? Remember some of the sermons on the Mount about looking at the speck in your own eye before you look at, no, the plank in your own eye before you look at the speck in somebody else's eye? Like some of that self-evaluation. We've got to look at how destructive behaviors are for the rest of the community and, and are, are, there, are there things that are going to be really dangerous for their soul? Actually, is some of those decisions that they're making, the course of path, path that they're on, is that going to lead them away from Jesus? If so, then the most loving thing is to get around them, isn't it? And go, actually, I see some things that I just think are going to be really destructive for you. Have, have we thought about this? And, you know, you can maybe do it in a little bit more diplomatic way. And maybe just as John, John's like outright, boom, you know. Um, but that's, I think that's love for one another, as well as coming alongside and saying, Do you know what, I see some, some God's deposit some great things in you. I see the way that you contribute to the life of the community. I see the way that you just, you love your kids and you, 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 give, you give sacrificially for them. I, I love the way that you serve on Sundays or you're in your activity in your mission or households and your desire to see these towns and these villages where you're part of. I love that. And we get this sense of in it together. There's a, there's a laying down of our, our own life for somebody else. I think, I think that's what he says, isn't it? He says, how do we, how do we know well, the example of Christ was that he gave his life for us. He laid his life down for us. And then he uses oughts and shoulds. We should do this for one another. Nobody lives for themselves. And so we, 
live out this life of, of faith in community, wanting the very best for others, wanting what is best for their growth and discipleship, the, the demonstration of Christ's life at work in and through them. It's other-focused. I think one of the evidences that we begin to see is when we start to take a shift off ourselves and we focus upon others. Because you know what? The more that I think we shift our focus upon ourselves and our own wants and needs, it's not that God won't meet those. It just means it gives access for somebody else to meet it rather than trying to fulfill it on your own. It means it brings you into a sense of community with others that enables us to reflect the goodness and the majesty and the splendor and the beauty of the one in whom we serve. So one of the evidences is this, I think, this increased love for one another. It's not a utopia. It's not perfection. Community and life in family is deeply messy. Isn't it? We've all got a story and we've all got natural families where we know that that to be true. How much more so in a, in a spiritual family when you're bringing in different personalities and different histories and different stories and different backgrounds, different th- ways of thinking, different upbringings. It's a mess. But it's a glorious mess. It's a beautiful mess. It's a redeemed mess. We are the children of God. We are not like family. We are family. We are. So in Christ, if you are in Christ this morning, you and I are brothers and sisters. A family, I don't know about you, and I know your, some of your experiences of family might not have been great. Get that. I understand that. Because life and human, human beings were messy. But I think what we're called into, having been, our hearts being filled with the love of God, it gives us a new perspective. It gives us a new worldview. It changes how we think. And it enables us to love others. The fourth thing is that we have, uh, we have an inner confidence. Verse uh, 19 and 20. Rachel, I'm going to have to get some strings for my glasses. <laughs> uh, this is how we will know that we belong to the truth and, we, and we'll reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. Our hearts reassure us when we, when we, when we understand that we, we are children of God, that we've been saved by him. His love has been poured out in us and we begin to see the evidence of practicing righteousness as we keep walking in his way, as we love one another, as we serve him. It begins to go, actually, no, I'm, I, I am a child of God. And I am seeing the evidence of God. So when, not if, when our hearts condemn us. Because anybody else felt condemned in their, in their hearts in moments where, oh man, this is, I'm, I'm done for. That inner con- condemnation. Well, this text tells us 
that if we are children of God, if we are following in, if we're putting our, 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 into practice the things that he's, he's deposited into us anyway, 2 Peter chapter 1, he has given us everything we need to live a life of godliness, then we can have confidence. Why? Because God is far greater than our hearts. He knows everything anyway. So the things that I know about my life, he's far, and the things of my heart, he's far greater than. The things that I don't know about in my heart and life that are yet to be revealed, he's far greater, greater than. So that any condemnation that we might feel from our hearts, he is greater than our hearts. Because he is the one that transforms our hearts. He is the one that enables us to have confidence, not in our ability, but in his. In his identity, our identity in his life that has been poured out into us by his love. The fifth thing is this. Is that we have a witness. We have a witness. And up until this point, John's not mentioned the Spirit. But in the last, in verse 24, he says this. And in the ESV, this is how he writes it. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. So that whole abiding thing, keeping the commandments, keeping God, is, is out of an abiding with him. It's like we are in him and he is in us. It's what it means to dwell, to remain, is that that's the reality, the position that we find ourselves in, is that he is in us. And we are in him. And we know this, that he, that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Paul writes in, I think it's in Romans 8, 16, that his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are what? Children of God. So the confidence that we have, the assurance that we have, and the ability to live this life is based upon the spirit of God who has made us new. And our, and our new, new nature desiring to live out the, the, the way of Jesus. So as we set our course, it's actually him who's powering us. It's him who's enabling us. It's him who's walking with us. It's him who's transforming us even as we partner with him. Because the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, if you don't have that level of assurance this morning, I want to say that that is available for you. Like in this moment, I believe that God can do a work in our hearts to go, I am a child of God. Through faith in you, Jesus, this is who I am. I think that brings a mindset shift. It's interestingly how much Paul, the New Testament, writes, he writes about the, the, the mind and about the shift, the internal shift that goes on in us. I think John indicates some of this, like this sort of shift that goes on in us that enables us to live that life with confidence. And so maybe this morning, this could be a shift moment for you. This could be a moment of encounter as I read the text again in a moment, those, those opening verses. That you personalize them. Not just a, we are children of God. But I am. 
Ian, this is who I am. I am a child of God. And the more you dwell upon that, the more you meditate upon that, it's not out, remember, it's not about your effort, but it is about a submission, a surrendering, a receiving from him of what he is, of who he is and who he's called you to be. So I'm going to pause. I'm going to read those verses again in a moment. You might have great assurance this morning. You, you may, you may, this may not be an issue for you. You may come into this and go, yeah, Ian, I'm with you. Understand it, get it. We're on it, let's, let's go. And give, give thanks, rejoice this morning. Celebrate. Cultivate that gratitude. God, I thank you that I am, there's nothing I've done to deserve this. This is simply by grace. This is your call, your beckoning. You, you, you offer prayers of gratitude. But if this morning, that this, is a, this has been a, a, a challenge to you, then take that as an opportunity this morning to receive from him afresh. To allow his love to be poured into your heart. To be called a child of God. No earning, no striving, simply receiving. And from that basis... You can go into this week with confidence. Confidence in him, confidence in who he's called you to be, wherever he's placed you to be. So let me read these verses. See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And we are. See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And we are. See what great love the Father has given. Insert your name. That I should be called a child of God. And that is what I am. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. We will know, we will know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Just dwell upon that truth for a moment.
Lord, I thank you that today, as we've read your, your word, as we've heard your truth through your word, that we can have confidence today in who we are in you. Not because we've earned it, not because we've been morally good or unfaithful even, we have simply put our trust in you, our belief in you, our hope in you, that you are enough. And that your, your life, your perfection has dealt with our imperfection. And that you've brought us into your family so that we are family and that we can do this journey of life together in you. And so, Lord, I ask that as we go about our day, as we embrace this week ahead, whatever it may entail, whatever comes, that we may do so with a growing confidence that we are your children and that we are different. The way that we behave is different. The way that we think is different. The way that we, um, we, we want to embrace and love others is different. Help us, Jesus, to be confident in you, confident in your truth, to practice your way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.